This morning, Christmas joy anchored to divine promise. Christmas joy anchored to divine promise. I think it's probably obvious to everyone that we've never been more uh, technologically poised to major on a lot of trivial, uh, self-centered things. Every time my wife shows me Christians arguing about politics or theology or church on social media, I find myself inwardly just thanking God that I have a life. We seem to be more and more advanced in the capacity of more quickly focusing on and sharing things that are light and trivial and self-absorbed and share it with more people who don't need it than ever before. I think we've created such a boundless appetite for the banal and the empty. Listen to the experts. Listen to the experts. More and more of them are starting to ask now, what have we done and where is this going? But there are still great big things to think about. We should probably be grateful that God in his providence has sort of sovereignly orchestrated things that even unbelievers, the whole world, most of it, pauses and and feels there's just something, even if they can't pinpoint it, there's just something about the Christmas event. Something that makes people wonder. Something that makes people see something good. Something special in the Christmas event. Of course, we're here, most of us, we're here as as the body of Christ and we're trying to remind ourselves that we celebrate the specifically redemptive glory of Christmas with the dawn of redeeming, redeeming grace. Not just love in general, redeeming grace. So we're all here, these three teaching sessions, to be moved beyond mere sort of fuzzy hallmark sentiment, even that beautiful plaque that I showed you at the beginning of the service. So this short Christmas series is aimed, in whatever small measure it can, to awaken wonder and thankfulness and praise. We want to ponder right down to its roots the glory of Christmas today and Christmas Eve. Let me give you the whole idea behind this morning's teaching. Okay, so here's the whole sermon. Only I I will keep going. Here's the heart of today's teaching. Christmas glory means all of God's promises can always be trusted. Christmas glory means all of God's promises can always be trusted. That's our deepest joy. I want to look at Acts chapter 3, 22 to 26. I have never in my life used this as a Christmas text, nor the one on Christmas Eve, which will really surprise you. Acts 3, 22 to 26. Consider these words with me. Moses said... 
the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Look at this. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth, not just the Jews, all the families of the earth be blessed, God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to the Jews first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your, your wickedness. Let's pray. When we read words of this coming one and how we all need to listen to him so we're not destroyed, we realize there's not just beauty in Christmas, but there's urgency in Christmas. This is a great text, and we need your help, Holy Spirit, as we study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. I said I've never used this as a Christmas text. This is Peter's Pentecost sermon. That's what it is. And he's explaining, and this makes it relevant for Christmas, he's explaining the coming of Jesus into this world. And the striking feature of this text is the way Peter, at least initially, he seems to belabor the point of the preparation for Christ's coming just as much as the coming itself. That's what I want to get at today. So Jesus, according to Peter, Jesus didn't just arrive. God could have done it that way. He was promised before he came. And it's this element of fulfilled promise that seems the important part of the Advent message, at least as far as Peter's concerned in that text. It's not just the coming. He labors the point of, you've seen this, you've heard about this, Moses talked about this. He comes to this same point repeatedly. First in verse 22, he says, Moses predicted the arrival of a prophet like himself. And then Moses himself pressed, saying it was crucially important that everyone listened deeply to this coming one. And then in verse 24, Peter says, Samuel and all the prophets who came after him spoke of the days of Christ. And then in verse 25, Peter wraps up by speaking about Abraham and God's promise through Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through the coming. That's what Advent means, coming, through the coming of Jesus. So I'm not making this up. I mean, surely Peter's point must be that all of this promised preparation before the coming, all of this promised preparation is no accident. God put a lot of work into pre-announcing the great Christmas event. And here's what I think this means. Now, 
Here's what I think that means for us today. So just so we're all together here. The emphasis in this text, there are others, but in this text, the emphasis really isn't on the coming of Jesus. The emphasis repeatedly is the preparation, the promise, the prediction of the coming before it happened, okay? And what I want to do now is say, what does that mean for us? Not the coming, all those promises. Why are they there? What do they mean to us today? One, Christmas isn't just about the Advent. It's about a promised Advent. So the particular glory of Christmas is that Jesus didn't just arrive. The particular glory of our text is that his was a promised arrival. That Jesus came, here's what I'm getting at, that Jesus came means our God is a rescuing God. That's immeasurably precious, and we'll give a whole teaching to that on Christmas Eve. So that Jesus came is proof that God is a rescuing God. But that Jesus' advent was a promised advent means our God is not just a redeeming God. Our God is a truthful God. That's the part I want to land on this morning. Not just that he's a rescuing God. He's a promise-keeping God. Not just that he's a redeeming God, but that he is a truthful God. He is, he is always trustworthy. It means he didn't just rescue us on a whim. He didn't just rescue us redemptively as a result of feeling good on a particular day. It means he is of such a nature and such a character that when God makes promises, he keeps those promises. When God makes promises, he keeps those promises. That's surely what Peter is laboring in that text. He can always be counted on to be faithful to what he has said. So, never let the difficulties of life, the unending trials that don't go away, or the words of cynics and unbelievers steal that truth from your soul. Our God is a truthful God. He does what he says he is going to do. That this just isn't some little side truth. I get from the way the Apostle Paul restated the same uh, foundational Christmas idea in Romans 15, 8 and 9. I don't know if you've thought of this as a Christmas text. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He was born a Jew. It's his birth. Why? And look what he says first. To show God's, do you see it? Truthfulness. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. It couldn't be stated more clearly. The first thing Paul says, Christ came first to the Jews to show God's truthfulness. And to confirm the promises given. This demonstration of God's truthfulness would always 
It would lead the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So, so Christmas means Peter's words in Acts, Paul's words in Romans, both talking about the birth of Jesus. Christmas means... How can you, how can you say words and make them land on people with appropriate weight? Christmas means our God tells the truth when he speaks. Part of the glory of Christmas is we see the universe and our lives in this confusing world. They can have something sure to lean on, something sure to plant, something sure to drill down into. Not all politicians tell the truth. Not all churches tell the truth. Not all preachers tell the truth. Not all bankers tell the truth. Not all teachers tell the truth. Not all scientists tell the truth. Not all professors tell the truth. Not all judges tell the truth. Not all lawyers tell the truth. Our entertainers rarely tell us the truth. Where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? We need to know our way. We need some kind of reliable path to follow. Our texts are are screaming at us. The reason Jesus didn't just come, but the reason he prepared with promise for centuries, there was a reason for doing it that way. God always tells the truth. Let that sentence, this sentence, let it land on your soul with weight. God never says anything. God never says anything that isn't absolutely, infallibly true. God never says anything that isn't absolutely, infallibly true. There is no such thing as an empty promise from God. There is never an idle threat from God. His words are the deepest reservoir of reality and reliability. Advent proves the way it unfolds that God tells the truth. Advent proves that God keeps his promises. We mark our calendars, so do you, with a coming that proves God tells the truth. Point number two. God is true to his promises even when it doesn't look like he is. I have another text I want to look at. It's in the prophet Micah. Pray now, bow your heads. God, help me to find Micah in my Bible. Micah chapter 5, verses 2, 3, and 4. So the point now is, Point number one is God always tells the truth. The promise and the preparation demonstrate it. Now, God tells the truth even when it doesn't look like it's true. Micah 5, 2 to 4. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. These words. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. 
Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. We've studied that whole prophecy in detail in previous Christmas teachings. Micah is one of the most overlooked of the wonderful Old Testament Advent prophets. Today, there's just one thought here. Just one thought. When Micah made this glorious prophecy, it was one of the least likely times for it to be believed. The coming one who is going to be great and rule his people. I mean, it's one thing, isn't it, to let lofty thoughts soar when the fireworks are bursting and the band is playing. I mean, we all know and enjoy our great moments and they're worth celebrating, but Micah's words had to have a particularly empty ring to them when he spoke. Israel wasn't ascending Israel was sinking into complete oblivion. The northern kingdom had already been destroyed. Judah was about to come under the sternest judgment of God for her unbelief, her idolatry, her rebellion. There was nothing remotely hopeful on the horizon. Nothing. When this great promise comes. Then comes Micah. God speaks through Micah about Advent about this great coming king and redeemer. And God manifests this most, here's the point, God manifests this most majestic of all promises precisely when such a promise looked the least likely to be possible. And the reason God did it that way is because that's where you get a lot of God's promises. That's the lesson, church. This is really precious beyond my ability to tell it. God's promise, God's truthfulness, God's faithfulness to his word is never to be measured by the limited horizon of our circumstances. God's promise is never to be measured by the limited horizon of our circumstances. Perhaps you can't even imagine the freeing power of divine grace penetrating what seems to be the hopelessness of your present life. Perhaps you can't imagine the tangled knot of all your sin ever coming under the mercy of a heavenly Father's care. Perhaps you can't imagine God loves you anymore. And maybe you can't point to anything hopeful on the horizon. And what I'm trying to draw out of this text from Micah is God's grace isn't limited to where your imagination can view things right now. God always speaks the truth. Point number one. God always speaks the truth even when your circumstances seem to argue against it. 
God's word always overrides dark circumstances, even when the circumstances don't seem to carry any hope on their own. And so here's where I'm going with all of this. It's my, it's my concluding thought. Stand in joyful wonder at the glory of Christmas in the middle of your present need. There is. There is glory to marvel at. Jesus came into this world. Jesus came into your present world. He came into the real world. Jesus didn't come to Narnia. This isn't some Middle Earth myth. There is no gospel record beginning with the words once upon a time. Jesus came to Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem, 9,322 kilometers from Newmarket. That's where he came. His coming is attached to a specific date on your calendar. But before he came, the whole world was being prepared to learn something important about the Father who sent the Son. It is one of the most praiseworthy features of our God that the coming of the Son was a prepared event. It was a promised event. That's what we've been looking at this morning. And here's what it means. I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know what you're feeling. Our God, our God never lies to you. And even when the, the promise feels like just so much sawdust on the floor, because your circumstances just argue against it, the promised advent means God always tells the truth. You can always rely on what he has said. You can rely on what he has said more than you can rely on the reality of your present circumstances. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is absolutely nothing on heaven or earth or under the earth now or ever to come that will change that. You may sense the faithfulness of that truth, and you may not. That may resonate with you, and it may not. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change what God has said. It doesn't change his nature one bit. He is rock solid. He is trustworthy. If you don't see it, then you just don't see it. But he is. He's proven it in the way he came into this world at Christmas. So my final plea is, trust Jesus. Not your random thoughts. Trust Jesus. Not the anger in your soul. Trust Jesus. Not the people who have hurted you or offended you. The bottom line of this message is there is nothing trustworthy outside of Christ. There is nothing trustworthy outside of Christ. Ignore Jesus Christ and you will live to see you have sold out to traitors. Your deepest longings can't be met in the lies or illusions or distractions of this world. Jesus came to reveal a trustworthy God. And if you repent of your sin and if you run to Christ, he promises forgiveness and eternal life. And God used thousands of years of documented history just to prove to your discouraged heart that he keeps his promise. That's the glory of Christmas.
before the point of redemption and forgiveness, before you get there, God wants to make sure that you understand you can trust him, that he keeps his word. He'll keep it to you. He hasn't changed. Let's pray.